Alex. Jan. Do you know that we never introduce ourselves in our podcasts? What are in we our, supposed in to our say? episodes? Hi, good morning. I'm Jan Dekel. I'm Alex Magen. And we are a married couple. We are that. Welcome to Daddy Square, episode 7. Oh my God, seven, it's almost seven. two months that we're here with you guys. It was a sad week, Alex, for transgender people. Yeah. Well, for transgender people in general, yes. But for one of them in specific, no. Who? A very good friend of mine, All the right. only transgender person I actually know closely, um, had... Um, all right, I'm going to get the term wrong. I think it's called gender corrective surgery. Is that what it's called? The thing where they do the, 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 the yes. thing that, you know, uh, yes. And, and she's very happy. She's very happy. And thank God she's doing well. It's, yeah, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about her and, and uh, the whole uh, discrimination that's going on against transgender people. And I know that from my country, from Israel, um, it's so hard for them to find jobs. That's that's the thing that concerns the me the thing. most. Yes. It's a tough life. I mean, they they follow in their dreams and they're doing what they feel they they want to do. But yep. still, the uh, society gives them a hard time. Yep. And you know, so, I'm really sad about that. You know, so often in discrimination, we think about these really harsh things like, you know, uh, police uh, treating people badly or uh, people not being served in stores. And all of this is true and it's all horrible. But... It's actually so often about money. It's about, can I get a job? Can I, can I live my life just quietly the way I want to? And unfortunately, um, for trans people, that is still not quite there. But yes. we'll get there, and I don't give a damn what anybody else says. Welcome to Daddy Square, episode seven. seven. Today, uh, we're going to talk about making babies. <laughs> yes. Part one. I'd say I, I wrote part one because yes. we intend to bring also a lawyer, which will be pr- part two. I think that there's a kind of a, a few angles on, on making sure. babies as far as uh, uh, gay men and IVF is concerned. So and not just that's, IVF, that's going to be also for adoption. You yes. Need. Yeah. No, but we're talking about IVF aspects. This is going today. We're going to talk only about the IVF, the, the medical procedure yeah. uh, with the surrogate and the uh, the donor. Uh, we talked to Dr. Guy Ringler, reproductive endocrinologist at California Fertility Partners. Before we get to the interview, I would like to remind you, Alex, that uh, last week we talked about uh, asking people whether they would try a pet before. We, yes. Would they recommend try a pet before they try a baby? Yes. It's not working for us. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> well, we got a, uh, more than 100, 160 replies. Wow. Uh, 60% said no. No they, what? They don't recommend that. And in fact, they were really angry <laughs> about that. Oh, guys. Pets and kids are nothing alike. Well, I'm sorry to disagree with 60%, but, you know, I would happily disagree with 95% if I felt that way. Look, obviously there At were... At least it's up. Last time you were in the 99%. Right. That's right. No, look, I just want to say, of course I'm sensitive to the idea that you can't treat uh, 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 a child the way you would treat a dog or a cat in certain circumstances. And that's not what I was suggesting or asking. What I'm saying is this. 
Many of us live lives when we're young, working people living in the big city where the only obligations we have are to our work and maybe to our bodies and maybe to some friends occasionally. But honestly, there are no other obligations. And so my thinking is, and it was my own experience, that getting a dog, while a much lighter responsibility by Uh, leaps and bounds, a million degrees, okay? Nonetheless, getting a dog um, gives you a sense of responsibility and obligation that can give you a hint, a hint at what you're getting into before you go and make children. Yeah, for example, if you want to go to the white party in Palm Springs for the weekend. you want to go to the white party. You have to think about, wait, what are we going to do with the dog? Right. Little so things this, like this, that. Yeah, these kinds of stuff that you have to kind of worry and it's a responsibility for another, I, I wouldn't say human being, but another um, being. being. Let's just say another being, someone who has a soul who you care about. Yes. Yeah. So look, the 60% of you, you know, I love you and I respect you. You're wrong. <laughs> Don't stop listening to the podcast, though. Yeah, Love, and also, while you're at it, just uh, rate and review us because we want to increase the visibility uh, of this podcast and help reach all these dads and maybe gay men who think about becoming dads. Absolutely. Five stars are lovely. Yes, we love five stars and we love reviews. Yes. Because, should we explain why? What we need the reviews for? Sure. Um, the Apple algorithm for podcasts actually works through the reviews. Yeah. So if a lot of people uh, review it, it, the visibility of the podcast is stronger, much higher. Yeah. Much higher. And uh, Guy also said in the interview, and you listen to it uh, in a few minutes, that uh, it's really important for a lot of people to be exposed to same-sex families and especially to uh, gay dad families. Yeah, and look, I mean, you know, as far as the reason why we want the ratings to go up, sure, we, we love being heard by a lot of people. It's a lot of fun. The podcast is a lot of fun. But there really is a desire that we have to uh, make this a meaningful thing for either gay dads or prospective gay dads. Uh, and, and that's why not only do we want you to rate us, but we also want you to tell us about subjects that you think we should cover and really help us make this thing as valuable as it can be. Hello again to the Gays with Kids listeners. That's right. Gayswithkids.com. We are part of Gays with Kids. All of the information and uh, important stuff that's going to be said in this interview today are going to be listed on gayswithkids.com, the online resource for gay men who are parents. And now I think we're ready for the interview. I just want to say one thing that um, about, the in- about this interview. We invited Guy to our house. It was uh, a weekend where we had no babysitters, basically, and the kids are loud. You can hear them playing. You can hear them crying. You know, not the whole interview, but you can hear (laughs) them in the background. So I apologize for that. I also apologize for Guy, but I think that what he's saying is is, uh, interesting enough and it's actually fascinating, uh, the things that he talked about. So yeah, this um, was a this you, was a really hope, good interview. Yes, yeah. So enjoy it, and I'm sure you're going to know a lot more about IVF after Guy this. Guy Ringler, reproductive endocrinologist.
morning, Guy. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be so, here. Yes, and thank you so much for, for being with us. Um, for those who, who didn't go through uh, the IVF process uh, to become a dad, can you first explain the process, which also I think includes like, what do you do in general? Sure. Um, I've been helping gay men to have babies through egg donation and surrogacy for about 20 years now. And it's an exciting process because it's fairly straightforward and the pregnancy rates are very high because these are really the best possible conditions to initiate a pregnancy because we're using the healthy eggs of a young egg donor to create the embryos. And we're putting these high-quality embryos into the perfect envir- environment that the, the surrogate provides. She's a woman with, without infertility. Um, so it's really, you know, I've talked to many patients over the years about it. I go to conferences and seminars on, on how to do it. And I've broken it down into five simple steps of how to get started. Number one is to have a sperm test and freeze your sperm. Um, most men have never had a semen analysis, so it's really important to find out what your sperm count is, what the quality of the sperm is, because if you need any treatment, it can take two to three months to see an impact of that treatment with vitamins, antioxidants. So step number one is ch- do a semen analysis. If everything looks fine, then we'll freeze your sperm. So what about, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna interrupt and, and throw yeah. you off course every now and then. Um, what about the underwear thing? Is it true or is it false? And Tight underwear, underwear versus loose underwear. <laughs> oh. Anything that can increase the temperature in the testicles can decrease sperm production, oh. decrease sperm quality. So if you're really wearing really tight bikinis all the time, it could have an impact. So all yes, right. it's true. Uh, have okay. a lot of baths. Hot bath, hot prolonged baths could oh. impact it, but you know you'd really have to be in the bathtub for a long time. But don't go in the steam room at the gym. Um, that's, that's going to impact your sperm. Cool. Thank you. So step, okay, so step oh, two. Back, <laughs> let me just go through yeah. the fives. Yeah, I'm sure there's sorry about questions. that. I'll try to control myself. So number two is to select your egg donor. And I think this is one of the most important parts of the process because not only will her genetics provide the genetics of your children, but her egg quality has a large impact on embryo quality and pregnancy rates. So when you're looking at donors, there'll be first-time donors and repeat donors. It's a little less risky to use a repeat donor because we can find out how many eggs she produced, how many embryos, uh, and gain an assessment of what that embryo quality was. Because in general, what I see is some egg donors make beautiful eggs and embryos every time, and others don't. So by using this proven donor, can just minimize the risk of a surprise. So once you've selected the egg donor, she completes her screening. Once she's medically cleared, she signed her contract, we can go to step number three, which is to create the embryos. Mm -hmm. So in the embryo creation process, the donor undergoes daily injections of hormones over about a 10 to two week, 10 days to two week process in which we stimulate the development of all the eggs that she's recruited for that month. We retrieve the eggs through a simple surgical procedure. The day of retrieval, we'll thaw a vial of your sperm that had been frozen previously and inseminate all those eggs. And if we have two sperm providers, we'll divide the eggs into two groups so each guy gets gets half of the eggs. Mm -hmm. The fertilization rate is about 75%. So the day after egg retrieval is day one of culture. We see how many 
fertilized eggs we have, so it's now a one-cell embryo. The next, we keep them undisturbed in culture until day five. So between day one in culture and day five, we expect about 50% of these one-cell embryos to become 100-cell embryos called blastocysts. So for us, a blastocyst is a usable embryo. It could be transferred directly into the uterus. It can be frozen. Oftentimes today, we'll biopsy it at the blastocyst stage and send those biopsied cells for genetic studies. And we can determine whether or not that embryo contains the correct number of chromosomes. Even in a young egg donor, 30 to 40% of the eggs and embryos will have chromosomal abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So by testing them through this pre-implantation pre genetic screening, we can know which embryos are normal, which embryos are abnormal. It does tell us the gender, so mm -hmm. you will have that information as well. All the embryos are graded, so we'll know how many normals, abnormals, and the grades of the embryos. Mm -hmm. And grades are about likelihood to come to term? What is, what is the grade measuring, really? It's a great question, because before we had the ability to genetically test them, we relied exclusively on the grade, and the, the grade is really how pretty the embryo is mm -hmm. in culture. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't correlate all that well with the chromosomal makeup. So it's just, you know, it's another variable that we factor in. So when we're selecting an embryo to transfer, we're going to select the, the embryo with the highest grade that's chromosomally normal, mm -hmm. and then we'll go through the list. And the goal from this treatment process is to end up with anywhere between four and eight normal embryos. Mm -hmm. So that's why careful selection of the donor is important. Some donors will make 12 eggs, others will make 38 eggs. I did egg retrieval this morning, I'm an egg donor, she made 38 eggs. Wow. And that's helpful when you have two sperm providers, yeah. because you each get a nice number of eggs, and we have... Um, the ability to select the highest quality embryo for transfer. Mm -hmm. And it gives us multiple attempts at a transfer. Right. My goal is to get my patients pregnant you know, from this first donor cycle. Hopefully the first embryo transfer, but you don't want to have to go through another egg donor cycle because it just adds to, to expense. Got it. So that's Did the we fact. just get through the five? I can't remember because <laughs> I kept well, interrupting. Well, number three was creating the embryos. Right. Number four is... Um, selection and screening of your surrogate ah. uh, it's very important um surrogate mother a basic um minimum requirement is that she's had at least one pregnancy uncomplicated that she carried to term ideally not more than five pregnancies mm -hmm. and she should be in good general health and we carefully look at her past pregnancies to make sure there is nothing about those pregnancies that would make her high risk in any way mm -hmm. Again, we want to provide this optimal environment for getting pregnant and carrying that baby to term. Mm -hmm. So the next step, number five, is to do the embryo transfer. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, gay men, it's kind of relatively new, the whole IVF for gay men. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these gay men who arrive are older than 30, I would say. How much does it affect the success of the, uh, the embryos creation? In general, men are much more protected by age than women because women are born with all the eggs they'll ever have and every month they ovulate one and, and lose some. So with age, the total number of eggs remaining decreases and the chromosomal makeup of those eggs changes so that as a woman gets older, more and more of the eggs are abnormal. Mm -hmm. Men continually pre reproduce sperm throughout their lifetime. So we don't see this chromosomal 
impact in terms of numbers of chromosomes in sperm with aging. There's some decrease in sperm motility in some men, decrease in count, but they're much more protected by age. Now, there are a collection of studies looking at what impact age does have on men, and we see slightly in higher rates of autism in the offspring and some other single gene mutations. So there's a slight increase in some diseases in men over the age of 40, mm-hmm. but it's difficult to quantitate. And the, the, those are not things for which there are currently um, genetic tests in the embryos? There's, there's not. We can't mm-hmm. test an embryo today for autism. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I have a million questions. I have a million questions. Who goes yeah. first? Go, go ahead. Uh, so, so I don't know if Jan told you, but we, well, those, the children in the other room um, came through this process. Uh, it, uh, it was, we did as much homework as we could before we went into it, but this was a very confusing process for us. And um, how so? Well, um, you know, the basic biology of it, the steps that you just described, I, I think we got. Right, but amazing. Not, not really. Be. So that was my question, basically. Go ahead. You then because, you start with uh, your question. We went with a company who switched, uh, you, according to your stages, stage two and four. So they first made us choose the surrogate. Okay. And then only at the end we chose the um, the egg donor. What ended up happening is that the egg donor didn't uh, provide enough eggs, and we didn't have. So we wanted one of each. Right. So we wanted. Twi- twins or twiblings, uh-huh. we yep. call them. Um, but the but the what happened is that um, the surrogate started a whole hormone therapy while the egg donor uh, was doing that as well. And then uh, we didn't have enough eggs, and we didn't get to the we didn't have enough the, embryos at that yeah. last moment. And so one of the one of the questions, one of the things that we would like to have understood uh, ahead of time is this aligning of the time frame by which for what they call a fresh cycle right. uh, where the the embryos are not frozen uh, but are as the moment they're ready the right. surrogate is ready to implant them there was a challenge financially yeah. which was we had to have our surrogate ready to go and she was ready to go but our embryos were not so we ended up doing it again, frozen, and thank God everything came out right. What we learned, for at least from our um, uh, IVF doctor, was as far as he was concerned, the frozen cycle wasn't a problem to begin with. So I guess one question we have for you is, you know, there's a tremendous convenience in the frozen process. Right. Do you see advantages from a percentage that succeed, et cetera, to the fresh over the frozen? And what would you do? Okay. Well, um, great, great questions, because there's been a change in the standard of care in the last five to 10 years, because the protocols for freezing and thawing of embryos has changed and improved over the last five years. So five years ago, I think most programs were synchronizing egg donors and surrogates to allow for a fresh embryo transfer because at that time, fresh embryos had higher pregnancy rates than thawed frozen. Today, for most programs, but it varies from program to program, most top programs, the pregnancy rates with thawed frozen are the same as fresh. Most, I'm sorry, most IVF programs. What was it you used the term? 
top IVF. Oh, programs. I see. Most top programs, right? So okay. I think you know you do really need to ask your IVF program: Do they see a difference in their fresh and frozen pregnancy uh. rates? Because today most programs will create embryos, freeze them, and transfer a thought frozen into the surrogate, which does make it's a little simpler that way. Um, so you don't need to synchronize. You can create embryos in, in advance and wait to find the surrogate later. And especially if you want to do genetic screening, it's more optimal to biopsy the embryo and freeze it. Um, and you get results about a week later um, rather right. than doing a fresh transfer. And you mentioned 32 eggs this morning. Did you say 32? 38. 38? 38. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because I think we had six. Six. So Six total or six apiece? Six total. Ooh, but, okay. you know, we squeaked, <laughs> yeah. we squeaked so, by. We wanted two. We got well, two kids. That's all fantastic. that matters. Um, but, but the question I guess I have is this. So there is, I have to imagine, there is a medical cost associated with each fertilization. No? no, no, it's really for the the collection of eggs. Really? So there's one cost for the collection of eggs, and so, and that's why in your donor cycle, my goal is always to retrieve between twenty and thirty eggs. Oh wow! Because that gives me enough eggs and embryos for multiple attempts. And you know we're doing more and more genetic testing of embryos from egg donors, and we're finding you know abnormality rates of thirty to forty percent. Wow. So. You have to have enough embryos to test because 30 to 40% will be abnormal. Now, I may have discussed it with our doctor at the time, but you know, most of my memory has been wiped since my children were born. <laughs> um, what, is, what is fertilization? Are we actually talking about manually pressing the, the sperm into the egg? Is that done with like a machine or is it they just squiggle their way in there. There's two ways to inseminate the eggs. Um, with You can just mix sperm with eggs and let them fertilize oh. spontaneously, and you'll get a fertilization rate of about 60 to 70%. Okay. Or you can use a form of assisted fertilization that goes by the acronym ICSI or ICSI, where you, under the microscope, the embryologist takes one normal shape, normal swimming mm -hmm. sperm, and injects it into the ah, egg. Yeah, I've seen so the that videos will give of us a fertilization rate of 75%. Interesting. So it, for, any, for men with any sperm abnormalities, you have to do ICSI. Got it. Um, with our don in our egg donor program, we always do ICSI to ensure a normal fertilization rate because there's a three to four percent of unexplained fertilization failure in this expensive egg donor cycle. That's, that's sort of a disaster. Right. Right. For everyone. Oh, interesting. Uh, for gay men to choose an egg donor, it's kind of. Uh I would say it's overwhelming because you kind of get to it and there's like hundreds of them and you have to go over each one to make sure you're not missing anyone. What's the best way to choose a, an egg donor? You know, you should start by making a list of characteristics that are important to you. You know, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, you know, educational background. Uh, maybe you want someone with musical talents. Make, make your wish list. And then when you're going through profiles, you know, course you're going to be attracted to someone not to others you sort of have to go with your gut you know like oh i like her something about her you read her story and it touches you then mm. you go to the next level well how many eggs does she make per yeah. cycle mm. is she oh. going to be a good candidate and i usually have my patients send me their three or four favorites and i'll, I'll screen them medically i mean just their profiles to look for any red flags right um but you really have to go with your gut i mean look how how did you meet your husband? How did you choose him? 
he had a list of 35 (laughs) you know he whittled it down to four we we actually screened all of them first of all by health so we looked for the healthiest right right records and then from it we we looked for the uh Right. Oh, it was so, a pretty. Yeah, it was a pretty yeah. crazy process. It was, of yeah, it took, printing it took things out, few, and putting yeah. them on the floor, and yeah. you know, mushing. I've had things many around. patients say they get overwhelmed by it. So yeah. when you're looking at health, you're looking for family disease. You you want, look for clusters disease mm-hmm. of disease. There's a lot of alcoholism. There's a lot of heart disease. Right. And you keep looking. Mm-hmm. So, um, how how many um, patients or clients? I don't know what you. What do you call us? We're patient. Patients? You're patients to me. Okay. Uh, have you had who use an egg donor whom they know? What's the frequency I'd with say which that happens? about 40 to 50% no. Oh, wow. Because yeah, you have the option of be, knowing your donor or being anonymous. Right. And it's always nice when you get to meet the donor mm-hmm. because then you can create this storybook for your children. You know, this right. was our egg donor. You, of course, you'll always know your surrogate. This right. Who carried you? So your your children from from an early age have an understanding of how they were brought right. into this world, mm-hmm. and and it's nice for them to know that. Just the other day, one of my receptionists said, "Oh, Doctor Ringler, my my daughter, her daughter's like first or second grade, came home and said, one of her friends told her she was a Doctor Ringler baby, and that, and another girlfriend came up and said, "Oh, it's a Doctor Ringler baby too." And I was just amazed that these young <laughs> children God. at an early age understand how they were created, which is yeah. fantastic. So they it's, it's they will amazing. grow up that it's all That's normal great. and natural. How long have you been doing this, did you say? 27 years. So <laughs> so you could have some, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a long time. Grandchildren. Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so recently you went to a Men Having Babies convention in Brussels. Uh, to speak. So when you go to these uh, conventions, what do you talk about usually? Well, I've been on the advisory board for Men Having Babies for the last couple of years, and this nonprofit has two main missions. One is they offer resource fairs for intended parents to find out how men can build families, have children. And secondly, they offer scholarships programs because we we all know this is not inexpensive. And so every year they offer some pro bono cases and some discounted cycles, um, which, which helps men who can otherwise afford it to yeah. have children. And so they usually ask me to give a talk as part of a medical panel. Today, this in Brussels, they asked me to speak on fresh versus frozen embryo transfers oh. <laughs> and the technique of an embryo transfer. Um, but you know, we're always assigned a different topic: how to choose an egg donor, the IVF process, how to screen a surrogate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great! Um, but they're wonderful resource fairs, and they have them around the, um, the U.S. They have one in Tel Aviv, and next year we're doing Taipei. Wow! So, uh, um, you do you work directly with uh, a specific agency or anything like that when it comes to finding the? Uh, the egg donors and the surrogates, or are you completely separate from that process? And I'm, I'm independent. I work with about a dozen or more different agencies. There's surrogacy agencies and egg donor agencies. Um, many surrogacy agents have, have egg don- donors within their program as well. Um, 
And we're fortunate to live in California, which is one of the safest places in the world for surrogacy for the intended parents. And you know, some of the, the best surrogacy agencies in the world are located in California. Got so it. you have a lot of professionals because it takes a team of pro- professionals that work well together to make this all happen right. safely, legally, correctly. Mm-hmm. You were talking a minute ago about uh, about the money, about the cost. The cost is nothing to sneeze at. Right. Is it coming down? No, actually it's going up. Because and of the options for testing? It's or? going up because the you know, everything gets more expensive. Our petri dishes are more expensive. The mm. technology gets more expensive actually. Um, and there's such a demand for surrogates that the amount that the agencies have to pay the surrogates ah goes up wow so it's gradually increasing um and it's yeah it's not inexpensive it's something you have to plan for um all right so my patients it's somewhere between the cost of a really nice car and a small house in the midwest (laughs) you you have to plan i have i have some younger patients today whose parents are paying for it because they want grandchildren right and they they want their we should have thought of that children to have families like right, they did, right. which is really fantastic. So um, what are the percentage of success for, uh, for a single uh, baby and for like what, what we did? I want to know if it changed from like three years Transfer ago. One or two. Um, like used, one of each or one in general? Yeah. Um, pregnancy rates, most programs, including ours, we do mostly single embryo transfers now. Mm-hmm. We used to transfer two to increase the chance of one but oh. now that we're better able to assess embryo quality through PGS and and other techniques, um, we're, we're trying to avoid the, the, the risk of twins. So twins is a high-risk pregnancy from the beginning. So in our last series, we had a clinical pregnancy rate of 79% transferring a single embryo transfer. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a gestational sac with a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, live birth rate will be about 5 to 10% less than that. Mm-hmm. So, but you're about 70% live birth rate transferring a single embryo. That's wow. amazing. So if you put in that second embryo, pregnancy rates go up maybe 5 to 10%, not as much as you go would down. think. Go up. If you put another one? Oh, you for two embryos. It's slightly yeah. higher. But we wanted, for from the beginning, we wanted twins. Right. Do people come to you with that uh, request as well? We do, and we will put up... T- to two once we've talked them about the risk of twins and the twinning rate's about 40 percent right it's about the same yeah it's about what what we know even with genetic testing it's is not you would expect it to be higher 80 percent twins is not Mm -hmm. so you mentioned that from the time of a pregnancy as you defined it to birth the the chances that it's going to work go down by what was something five to ten percent five to ten percent depending where your starting point does is. does that have anything to do with ivf or is that the same situation for any pregnancy well actually it's it's related in general to the age of the woman producing the egg in this you know and and the chance of it um in this case depends on whether or not pgs was done before pgs miscarriage rates would increase you know in proportion to the age of the woman producing the egg now that we can screen out most chromosomally abnormal embryos the miscarriage rates have significantly decreased but they're still going to be you know about five to ten percent miscarriage rate now that's interesting to me because pgs i'm assuming which stands for by the way 
pre-implantation genetic screening. Oh, there you go. Um, and there's a new, they've they're recently changed it to PGT, pre-implantation genetic testing. Not to confuse <laughs> you, but just in case anyone okay. has heard PGT. Good, thank you. So, so I'm going to assume that that can't be done on a natural pregnancy. Is that true? Meaning you can do it with IVF. You, you can't do it when a man and a woman, you know, do the thing and make a baby. No, you can do you can do a peripheral blood. You can have a blood draw around ten to eleven weeks. I see. Um, for the the chromosomal mm. I see. makeup of, okay. of, of the pregnancy. So in the end, you both both types of parent can find out the same information, but a little bit earlier for the IVF. Well, yeah, the, the advantage of PGS is you find you test before you've initiated a pregnancy right. to avoid the Down syndromes and other trisomies that could result in a miscarriage. Got it. What is the percentage of gay individuals who come to you for IVF? Like, you mean how many of no, them are gay? No. Of his total like patients? how many are single? Oh, single, single gays. People, single gays who come. Hmm, got to think about that and one. If, so of the gay patients, probably about 25, 30%. Wow. You, you I know, wouldn't have guessed that. No, I think once men decide it's time to have a baby, you know, they're committed. And, yeah. you know, they, and, and in my experience, my single gay men who start the process somewhere but along the way, they, they always ultimately meet Mr. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like having a new baby to, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing single straight men. Mm-hmm. Um, really deciding they want to start wow. their family they've been unlucky in love it just hasn't worked out and you know they're they're turning 50 they want to start a family that's amazing in your line of doctoring um the patient i guess is the prospective parent right because the embryo doesn't come along until the end of the process um do you ever find yourself telling a parent you shouldn't do this. You ever find yourself understanding the parent and who he is or she is and saying, you know, I'm not sure that this is right for you. Not not necessarily physically, but for any other reason. Would that ever present itself to you? And would you would you feel comfortable talking to them about that? Wow. That's, yeah. that's a serious I dropped that, question. I dropped that little bomb on you. <laughs> Fortunately, I can't recall being in that position um at least not recently you know you know maybe 15 20 years ago we had patients that were cousins and i didn't want to you know if you feel uncomfortable treating an individual um you can always refer them to another respected um professional in the community um i haven't had to do that recently they show up and you suspect that they're major druggies what do you do I'm serious. I'm sorry. You know, God, I didn't promise you I wasn't going to ask you any tough questions. And that, you know, I haven't I actually haven't seen that. It's a great question. Thank God. What I would do? Will they have enough um, money to do it? Are you kidding? Money. Sure. I think it's you know I think it's important that patients are really committed to the process and to the children. Right. And because you're doing this for the love of that child, because I've asked myself, well, what do we what do we need to, to to give that child, we need to give it two parents. We need to give it mom and dad. What do we need to do? Mm-hmm. What do we need to provide? All you need to provide is love. Yep. And these um, individuals who come, they 
they feel very strongly. They want to love a child. They're committed to the process, which it, you know, it it takes some commitment. Yep. <laughs> and takes takes some money. Um, but they're doing this because it's really important to them. Um, we all always have the chance to refer patients to um, psychologists if we're concerned about how committed they are. Do we think they're really, you know, they're doing this for the right reasons? And I, I would right. refer them to a, a clinical psychologist to gain an assessment. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. When, when is your part of the process ends? Once the I follow the surrogates until the placenta starts making hormones on its own and and we're ready to wean her off hormones. So that's usually about 10 weeks of pregnancy. Mm. And then she goes to her obstetrician, usually the doctor who delivered her children. Oh. And then because then the pregnancy is really self-supporting and she goes to her regular pregnancy appointments. Is that what Carly did? Did she go to sure. her? Okay, that's our surrogate. Our wonderful surrogate. Hi, Carly. I read uh, somewhere that there is uh, um, something right now in development that maybe you can turn a sperm into an egg. Is that something that... Uh, because I, the, I think the dream for gay couples is to have like a... You know, absolutely. Their own, their I own child. Absolutely. I think the te- science and technology is advancing. I think someday we have the ability to, to change to stimulate a cell to turn into an egg or a sperm. Wow. And so two men theoretically could produce a child using their own genetics. In fact, my very first gay couple I treated, um, they wanted to use the egg from the sister of one of the guys and the sperm of his partner because that way their child right. is a mixture of their genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, That's amazing. Now, wait a minute. I have to ask you a science question. So. If that was possible, that would mean that two men could have a boy or a girl, but two women could only have girls. Is that right? Because where would the Y chromosome come from? Correct. Oh, I got it right. (laughs) Wow. I remember a little bit of biology. That's a good question. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about you. What made you want to become a fertility doctor? Well, originally, I was going to go into high-risk obstetrics. I did my OBGYN training at the University of Chicago, and we saw a lot of high-risk cases on the south side of Chicago. And I thought it was very interesting because you it was a combination of internal medicine and regular obstetrics. You got to manage problems. Mm-hmm. But I realized that in many ways, obstetrics, you're handling emergencies and disasters mm-hmm. because problems in pregnancy can just can just arise and you have to respond to the best urgent care solutions and and that made me a little uncomfortable around that time IVF was was a new worldwide phenomenon so the field of reproductive endocrinology and infertility was just exploding wow I remember in Chicago everyone was very excited because Dr. Richard Mars who helped make some of the world's first IVF babies was coming to give a lecture and everyone was so excited to hear him speak. And he's my partner today. We've been practicing together for 27 years. So um, it's it's a wonderful profession. I feel lucky to do what I do. I get to help make babies and help help people build families and fulfill dreams and I have wonderful patients and I wouldn't trade trade over anything. Um, So you have kids? (laughs) 
I do not have kids. You don't? Um, you could probably whip that up pretty fast. <laughs> I know. I, but Mark, my husband, I wish wish we had kids, but um, you know, we got together later in uh-huh. life, and I'm 61. He's 62, and you know, at some age, you have to say it's you know, it's, right. we're a little too old. Well, we're not too old, but um, you know, you make decisions. You know, I think. What I, when I was coming out and dealing with my sexuality, it was really difficult for me to give up the chance of having kids because none of this was available back then. Yeah, right. And so you go through these stages and you give, give it up and then you become okay with it. But that's why I'm so passionate about helping gay men have babies now. I love it when these 25-year-old guys walk in my office and said okay we just got married we want to start a family it's just wow. fantastic right it's amazing yeah. it's and amazing their parents are paying for it and they're gonna yeah, build this beautiful. big beautiful family <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty foreign to me i mean we you know we did this pretty late and uh i i think that coming out when i did the idea that uh you know i would do something as normal as having children just didn't seem even didn't make any sense to me at the time so it's very exciting to hear that you have patients that are looking at this as a you know rite of passage as something that that they want to do and that's part of a a natural life because it certainly wasn't that way for me when i was coming out of the closet tell us a little bit more about coming out (laughs) when and where when and where i think you know in it was a process in medical school in detroit um so one of my classmates said guy you got to go to this great gay bar i was scared i'd never been to a gay bar and um Mm -hmm. and actually the blog about it in the book and it was just over um, enlightening because like wow you know, everyone looks so normal. They, you know, <laughs> oh, they look they? like me. <laughs> wow! And it was fun, and you could be yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, but it was in Detroit, and it was in a you know a not so nice part of town. And security guards in the parking lot, so you had to walk in very quickly. Right. Um, but it was a chance to be yourself, and to so it's, mm-hmm. it's medical school. Um. We're coming towards the end. Alex, do you have any other uh, IVF-related questions? I I don't, but I I do want to say this. You know, um, I I don't know that we had the opportunity to say this to our IVF doctor, but you're all IVF doctors, so I can just (laughs) say it to you. Um, It really is, what you just said before really is true. Um, What you do for a living has enabled me i'll speak for myself to achieve something that really uh never felt possible and i have uh a family that feels more it didn't feel so natural in the first few months i'll be honest with you but feels more natural to me now than i ever thought would be possible and uh sometimes you see an example of where science medicine whatever contributes to humanity in such a an incredibly bold and powerful way and thank you for that contribution because it has meant the world to me so nice to hear how happy you are and fulfilled. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you ask me just... a few hours from now, I'm going to tell you it's a living hell. But, <laughs> when the babies right, are leaving. When the babies are leaving. Um, by the way, we touched this, the issue of choosing the egg donor, but um, we haven't talked about uh, the surrogate. Um, usually, when you go to these uh, companies, they match you up with the Agencies. Surrogate. 
agency. Agency, yeah, 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 agencies. Yeah, so they match you up with a, a surrogate. How do you know when it's when the uh, when what they did with the match is not for you? You know, you know? The, you, they should present you with several profiles to look mm-hmm. at, and you can read about their family picture and where they live and how many kids they have. And I always advise my patients to um, choose someone that you can relate to, you feel comfortable with. She's carrying your baby for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll you know briefly look over the medical history, but before I see her for a medical screening, I'm gonna thoroughly review all of her prior pregnancy records to make sure there's nothing about them that was high risk to make sure she's a viable candidate. Mm-hmm. So then it's a mat- matter of, you know, th- you have a good match. And it's important that the agency matches expectations on both sides. Some intended parents wanna be very involved in the surrogate and become best friends. Uh, Other intended parents want her to do her job, but they they have busy lives, they don't wanna be that involved. And the same from the surrogate side. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you match expectations so everyone um, feels content and no one's disappointed in the process. Thank you so much for coming and, and talking to us. Um, I, I also thank you, I mean, to the <laughs> profession, but uh, for what you do, I think it's really amazing. And the fact that you go and talk about it and um, help other gay men to even decide in, a, in a early stages, I think it's great. I think it's really important that we talk about it and share stories because that's how we let people know that this is possible and this is available. We're really fortunate here in California. I just got back from um, Italy and France, and Mm -hmm. Italy, um, we got shut down from talking about surrogacy. The police came. Wow. Wow. Because it's such a controversial subject. And they came to warn us that there would be protesters. We just said, we're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. We're here to help people. We don't want to get anyone in trouble. Um, the same in France. Um, so we're very fortunate to live in a part of the world where all this is possible. So, but we have to share our stories. They need to hear about your, your boys and you know, we all need to be out and active and let the world know that we make happy, healthy, normal families. Exactly. This is (laughs) why we're here. This is why we're here. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. That was Guy Ringler. Oh, reproductive endocrinologist. At California Fertility Partners. I can't say these words. It's too complicated for a foreign person. I like to say reproductive endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. Yes, so he's not a gay dad. Nope. uh, But he's gay. And the fact that he helps so many uh, gay father and he's so sensitive about this. Yeah. Um, and, and also the things that he uh, wrote to me after the interview, which was really touching, oh. that he said that Ben and Adam uh, grew up in a loving home, and it was great to see that. Oh, and he nice. only saw us for a second, and he saw us in a day where there's no babysitter, which right. means the house looks like a <laughs> tornado. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. I don't know if I should say tornado. Is it not? Uh, is it insensitive? Oh, it depends on what's happening in the news. Uh, you can get away with it today. Um, yeah, the house and the house once again today looks like um, 
yeah, it's not it's not good. It's not good. But uh, I think that that uh, the kids behaved themselves relatively well, and so did Guy. Uh, and you know, I did want to say that I was I was sort of touched by the way he spoke about not having had uh, kids of his own. Um, and you know, he talked about the fact that he had built his career and he had done what he has been doing for all this time. And that at his age and state of stage of life, he felt that, uh, he was, you know, he was not young enough anymore to, to have kids. And I understand, believe me, I understand exactly what his thinking is. But it's hard because you look at somebody like that and you say, oh, man, you would be an amazing father. And look what you could bring to a kid, even if you were a super old man by the time they were, you know, going off to college. Yeah. So there's I a lot of I think it's a thinking. decision because a sure. lot of, uh, I mean, not a lot, but I know gay men who became father at 60. Yeah. Our neighbor. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it absolutely happens. I will say that on a very practical level, I guess that the older you are when you have kids, uh, the more important it is that you have money. Yes. That you have money, that you have a good life insurance policy, because if God forbid something happens, if nothing else, the kid, the kid or kids have to be, you know, have to be protected. Yeah. Um, so another thing that I wanted to clear, and that's kind of a personal point of view, uh, it's the fact that uh, what happened to us with our story with, uh, with the surrogacy, because we lost, and I, I wrote um, a complete article about that, because it was very important to me to, for, for, for other couples to not make the same mistakes as we did. Um, and uh, this mistake cost us $60,000. I think it was 70, but okay, it was a lot. What happened is that our agency kind of tried to push us through a different path than what he explained. They wanted us to find the surrogate first and then find the egg donor and do a fresh cycle, which he explained they do it simultaneously. As Guy explained, until five or seven years ago, it was considered uh, the more successful way to do it. It was that you want to get your surrogate to start shooting up hormones and your egg donor to start shooting up hormones at the same time, get them both kind of synchronized so that when the eggs come out when they when they when they harvest the eggs and they create the embryos at that moment they can implant the embryos in the surrogate and the surrogate is ready to receive them and so everything has to be lined up perfectly in time in order to do that and that's yeah. called a fresh cycle so what happened with us is that there weren't enough eggs when they did the retrieval and then therefore uh, we didn't have the embryos ready and we had to do another uh, cycle with a with the egg donor, which took something like six months yep. or so. Yeah. And then all the money that we spent on the hormones uh, treatment for the surrogate and the surrogate. Yep. It's just gone. So yep. what I suggest to do is, first of all, uh, be persistent and learn more about the, the process. So you know exactly what you're up against. Um, and also um, find the egg donor first, make the embryos and freeze them and you have time and then you can pause even to try to collect more money and whatever. You can do a pause between the the embryos and, and finding the surrogate and do the whole thing. So it also makes the, the process more easier financially. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of something I wanted to just mention. So 
when we did this whole process, um, you know, we read about it, we got advice from various people. But what we did not have, um, and I don't know if such a thing even exists, but I'd love to hear feedback from people who have gone through IVF um, as parents if they think uh, that this would be good. I think it would be great to have an IVF consultant. This is a person who you pay, I don't know, maybe $1,000, and their entire job is to be able to answer your questions but be completely independent of the agency, the surrogate, the egg donor, the doctor, so that they have no interest other than to help you. This is something that um, we talked about with our surrogate that she should do as a side career. Because she just knows She's everything. amazing. She knows everything. And so I think that, you know, I'd love to hear people's feedback of whether, whether they would have liked that. I know that we would have been thrilled to have somebody we could call that, frankly, we could trust and just say, oh, what does this mean? What should we do here? But of course, you can also call us or at least write us at hello at daddysqr.com. Um, you can tweet us at Yanir Dekel and you can find us on Facebook at Daddy Square. Um, also, if you go to Gays with Kids, uh, they can forward uh, the questions to us or, you know, just answer you because they know too. Um, I think that's it for today. Sage advice. Sage advice. What is your sage advice today? So here's the thing. So I started to read uh, a, an amazing book by the, the guru of Israeli parents. Her name is Einat Natan. Um, she's kind of an, a, an advisor for parents. Uh, she's, she's a lot on TV and, and on the media all the time, kind of helping parents to deal with so, some sort of stuff. And she just released her book. One of the things that uh, she speaks about there is the, the tantrums, how to deal with tantrums. and Your children's tantrums, just to be clear. Yes. And especially when they're toddlers um, and they hit you and they don't understand what you're saying and they say, uh, call you names. And uh, what she says is basically that kids, they have a tantrum when they meet their limits. Sometimes they try to push their limits. And if we be persistent enough, they're going to eventually learn to deal with limits in life. Um, and also what's the most important thing, and that's my sage advice for today, because it completely changed my life and the way I, I handle my toddlers now is that she always says that the tantrums is, are not about you. Even if they call you names and hit you, it's never about you. Don't make it about yourself. It's about the limit. So you can both come together and be angry or be frustrated about the limits. If your kids are having a tantrum, you can say, I understand that you're angry. I understand that you, that sucks that you can't have it now. Let's be frustrated together. Uh, this week, I brought them home from school and they wanted a banana and there was no banana in the house. So I, I told them, let's go to the supermarket and buy a banana. And, and Ben started screaming and crying. No, I want banana. I want now. So I said, you know what? Why don't we all sit in our kitchen and just scream together? There is no banana. And we screamed, ah, no banana. <laughs> and, the, and that's it. So we... I think it was, I don't know, it That's was good. liberating. Like it. Also for me, because it's annoying. So you scream, but you scream about the banana, but just actually think about something else. Right. Um, but uh, we all did it together and it felt like it's not about 
me and it's not about our relationship it's about the banana I like it um, my sage advice is about celebrating yourself okay that sounds a little bit Los Angeles and you know nauseating but there's something to it you know um, when you are a parent um, you spend a lot of time uh, worrying about your kids but you also spend a lot of time being frustrated and you spend a lot of time in self-recrimination you know I didn't do it right I screwed it up right and then when things go well they just go well my advice my sage advice is to celebrate yourself so in the mornings I take the kids to school and very often that is not a smooth process. It involves screaming and crying and throwing and I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of difficulty. Um, but every now and then I'll have a morning where everything will work beautifully. Everything will be smooth. I know how to play the children like a Stradivarius, you know, and each child goes where they're supposed to go and they smile and they giggle and they laugh and then they slip into school and poof, they're gone. And on those days, I am starting to do this thing where I send a text to Jan as I leave the school that says, I am a golden god of parenting. <laughs> and it's a little bit over the top, obviously, but my point is this. You know what? When you manage to do it really, really well, take a moment to praise yourself and to praise your partner also when when he's doing an amazing job because those you know those moments of really excellent parenting may be few and far between when they happen celebrate them I think it's right about everything in life not only about parenting yeah but this is not a podcast about everything in life but you're right I agree with you. <laughs> um, you guys thank you so much for listening to us and don't forget to rate and review and also uh, if you want all the details about the process that Dr. Ringler talked about, plus other links to our articles that he had written uh, in the media, you can check out uh, the page at uh, gazewithkids.com. You can also write us at hello at daddysqr.com. And we really hope to hear from you. And that's it, I think, for today. We have to talk about creating merchandise. I'm thinking about <laughs> Alex, like little... stop you know, thinking about making little, money. Listen, little, little action figures of you and me with little heads that bounce around talking. No. No, not good? No. Damn that's, uh... Damn it, this was my million-dollar idea. Oh, well. No, it wasn't. Alex, yeah. have a good week. You too. <laughs>